You are listening to Cosmic Cuts. I'm your host, DJ Unjust, bringing you uh, another entry in our interview series. Uh, we'll be meeting and discussing music and life and such with Georgie Speakman, someone who's been uh, involved in music for years, dabbled in marketing, creative endeavors of all sorts. Um, and yeah, so, hey, Georgie, thanks for joining us today. Hi, Justin. Lovely to be here. I'm stoked to be talking to you today. Yes, we have persevered through sicknesses, <laughs> rescheduling, travel. It's amazing. So here we are. <laughs> we made it. Yes. Yeah, um, me on. <clears throat> yeah totally. I guess... Um, just real, real high level. Can you talk a little bit about um, your creative collective outlier and um, sort of how that fits into your life and some of the projects that that you do? Absolutely. Um, yeah, Outlier is a is a business that I founded at the end of 2018. It really, its first year was 2019. And I established Outlier to really service that whole micro-influencer um, community of, you know, sort of lifestyle influencers that double as multi-hyphenate creatives, whether they be sort of DJs or hosts, entrepreneurs, investors, creative directors, photographers, videographers, motion graphic artists, you know, you name it. And um, for me, it was sort of... Um, that, that space of I, I want to work with creatives that are also their own personal brand, you know, um, because, you know, I think the future of advertising and marketing has really been, is not only obviously injected into the realms of and ecosystems of like social and digital, but through these amazing individuals that actually have a really, really dope skill set um, and are not just, you know, bikini model putting a, a fitness you know weight loss tea or whatever um but ones that are actually contributing to culture community um you know art and just an, an, an are amazing creatives so i found that little niche and it's it's been amazing you know working with different brands in different capacities you know um whether it's like global campaigns or doing ambassador roles um working with record labels providing creative for a lot of artists um, and we work on different projects across the country in a whole range of different capacities. So for me, it's been really fulfilling um, to be sort of behind the scenes, um, managing these types of individuals and participating in a creative capacity with these agencies or brands or PR companies or media platforms. Wow. Yeah, thanks for that. So I am hearing, um, you know, not to be too flippant, um, like a digital renaissance person or a, like just a hustler, like you're meeting the artist, the creative at the, where they are and trying to, you know, help build and, and expose. Yes. hundred. That's amazing. <laughs> Super cool. <laughs> um, um, and then I guess building off of that, I know underneath outlier records, there's this project antithesis that um, was sort of the maybe the inaugural release from Outlier Records, or how did that how did that work? Yeah, it's <clears throat> I had this fateful opportunity at South by Southwest in 2019. Um, my lawyer 
his firm through a drinks party and there are quite a few executives from the orchard uh, and other, you know, other labels and stuff like that. And I ended up really hitting it off with one of the SVPs there and we just were talking, talking for, you know, throwing back the drinks and having a couple of cigarettes, um, which I shouldn't say, it's a, it's a bit naughty, but um, <laughs> for like an hour and basically, long story short, he just sort of was like, well, what, you know, why haven't you started your own label yet? And I said, oh, well, Outlier Records was something I was looking to start, you know, maybe in two or three years' time down the track. You know, I was already so, you know, um, struggling for time as it was. And he was like, well, what are you waiting for? And I was just like, I guess nothing. <laughs> so I literally, <laughs> I literally got on the plane um, after that whole week and put a whole deck, pitch deck together and sent it to him. It literally sent before the my plane touched down in in Los Angeles and I guess within a month you know I'd had the had the contract and it signed and then it was now shit what do I put out and I was working with Stacey Barr who's, a, who's an incredible songwriter um and and you know artists um and and others out of you know different the LA but also in Australia and mm-hmm. I thought okay I'm really about brand building and I've, I'm a self-taught pianist I've been playing the piano since I was a kid and I thought I, I had to look around the piano market and I was like, there's a lot of incredible, incredible composers, but a lot of them are much older and they don't really focus on content production like short films, art films, abstract pieces of content. And I'm like, I'm never going to be as amazing as them, but, but, I, but I actually also prefer, I've always loved the really simple, like melodic, um, stripped back sort of piano, like very basic keys. Um, especially right. if keys end up featuring like hip hop records and lo-fi beat records and and something like that. There's always, for me, there's always been something about the piano, those simple piano melodies and simple piano hooks that have always essentially hooked me and I've always loved. So I, I just saw this sort of concept of antithesis and I, I wanted to create something that was really rooted in strong thematics, um, you know, something where, I could write these really simple, somewhat timeless piano albums because let's face it, like the piano is an instrument that's always going to be timeless. Like you can't not like or not love the piano. I mean, fair enough if you don't like the instrument, but the piano is the piano. It's a very, a very special uh, historical, you know, thing. Right. And um, what what that allows me to do is collaborate with all these incredible beats producers from all over the world. And it just dawned on me that, like, oh, well, you know, Outlier Records is cool, but I also don't like the whole model of um, trapping, well, not signing these artists and locking them in, into these deals because I think creativity has to be a fluid process and I think that creatives and artists need a different type of way to breathe into their career and, and evolve in the way they are supposed to. And I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not a major. I'm, I'm never going to be a major labels so I'm never going to have those multi-million dollar budgets to like blow up these artists I just thought if I create something that is um rooted in really strong beautiful content and imagery partner with all these really incredible beats producers then that can help build the sort of eco the original sort of initial ecosystem of the label and then I can I can build from there I have put out a few little independent releases just to support some artists back home in Australia that I you know, I, I believe, you know, very talented and all that kind of stuff. Um, but uh-huh. ultimately the model is um, for Antithesis to continue to create uh, and then collaborate in all these different uh, ways with these different producers from around the world. Wow, yeah. 
I mean, props for living in multiple lanes, you know, like so far, most of the, your work has been kind of pure piano releases, but then you drop these kind of remix albums where you're more focusing on lo-fi beats or bars, you know, working with Blunt One and yes. A1 and, yes. and all those dope people. Yes. I mean, oh man, I've just been, I've been such a fan of Blunt One for so long. Um, and it took me, he was actually really hard to track down, believe it or not. And then, um, and then A1, you know, I think that it was Machine Gun Rap, their collaboration from a few years back, um, was such a dope hip hop record. And I was just like, God, why can't people make more hip hop like this? Like that was sort of a, it was just, I just love that record so much. And A1, like, I just love his in, in intelligence and lyricism. He's a great writer. I love his voice. And then obviously Blunt One's got quite a specific lo-fi beat sound that he's really captured and been very, very successful at maintaining. Um, so it was like I was very blessed to be able to take my original piano album in Antithesis Volume 1, turn that into, you know, Volume 2 purely with Blunt One. So it was just like an instrumental lo-fi beats album. And then the third iteration, Volume 3, um, was our first collaboration with A1. And um, there's been a couple of records on that that have done really, really well, in particular Timing that's been re-added, mm -hmm. re-playlisted to like lo-fi beats and not quite classical on Spotify and, and all that kind of stuff. So it's been, um, that, that project's been really, really rewarding to, to see, to see my, my original vision come to life with some really talented, you know, people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the kind of mood and the, kind of collage visuals for that as well as the you know timely rhymes um are, are really really impressive in my opinion and that's definitely something we'll be sharing with our listeners yes thank you yeah um you know we kind of went all in on the uh from this kind of modern day i, I did want to maybe kind of pivot a little bit and go back to kind of your origin. I know you mentioned piano as a child. Was that sort of your first introduction to music? And maybe you could talk about some of your, I guess, major inspirations. Absolutely. So I was one of those crazy little kids that um, was doing everything artistic. So I was singing, dancing, writing, acting, performing. I would spend hours every night, you know, literally from the age of four or five, dancing in my room to all the pop chart hits and then, you know, putting on, on shows for family members and, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. I remember at 14, you know, making my mum take me into the city to go and buy the first Jungle Records um, by Goldie and drum and bass records and all that kind of stuff, like way back then. This is like 94, in the mid, you know, mid-90s. Um, mm -hmm. and just loving music, like loving music um, to a um, next level extent of where I've, I've, I really need it for my, my, my heart soul and to function. I, it's it's um, beyond, beyond a passion and beyond sort of like a soothing thing. It's just something I have to do and, and music just has to be a part of my, my life. And we, we did have a beautiful old piano in the house and, so I would just sit there and um, play and I ended up, I, t I taught myself how to read, read music and the first um, official like uh, piano record I taught myself how to 
play through, yeah, mainly auditory, is um, Heart Asks Pleasure First from Michael Neiman's or Nyman's um, The Piano, the movie, The Piano. And uh-huh. yeah, so it's, it's, it's always been there. And then <clears throat> I've done everything into my teens from um, just, you know, all the dance classes, years of dancing and singing training and later in life, uh, I've always been in business, but I did did carve out a bit of an acting career for myself for a while, just so I could, you know, it was another avenue to tell stories. But I realised the industry, the industry, not the craft of acting, but uh, the industry is way too vacuous for me personally. But um, you know, obviously, it, it, you know, did, did some feature films and lots of short films in theatre, and so I think all of it has just intertwined. And I think. <clears throat> With, on top of like study and always having interest in business and being raised to only really focus on business, I've just had to over the years find a way to weave it all in together so I can feel creatively satiated, I can feel satisfied, I can feel like I'm contributing to the world and, and, and you know, actually creating art and doing something but then also supporting other creatives and, and being a, a platform an aid, an advocate, and, you know, an agent for, for their sort of growth, evolution, and, and whatever as well. Um, and so Outlier sort of represents that the culmination of both sides of myself and my past, you know? Yeah. Great. And, I mean, you know, say what you will about acting. As I understand it, that did, that was your kind of entry point into coming to the U.S.? Is that, is that the, the case? I... Excuse my, am I, I, excuse my language, but I, I kind of like, I kind of fucked up about 10 years ago. I, <clears throat> I, I came to the US um, for three, I went to LA for three months and I, within a, uh, my first week of being in Los Angeles, I signed with Innovative Artists as, a, uh, as my agent and LBI Entertainment as my manager. And LBI represent Leo DiCaprio, they, they manage Appian Way, that's part of that same family. Um, they had a bunch of celebrities, um, you know, Benicio del Toro, Robert De Niro, Cameron Diaz, a bunch of top-tier actors at the time. And then they were starting this indie film development division. It was like me and two other American guys in it that were all sort of like film actors. And <clears throat> I, I, I secured phenomenal rep, but then <laughs> I got back to Australia and I was like, and after a few meetings with producers and other bits and pieces, I was like, I don't think acting, like I want to tell stories and I, it's important for me to always be a storyteller, but I don't believe pursuing a, a career in acting in America because you remember you as an immigrant, you're super limited to what you can do on the visa. So if I, got, if I came into the country on the acting visa, all I would have been able to do is act and or uh, like wait tables under the table, you know what I mean, get paid under right. the table. And there's no way with all my years in business as well that I was going to suddenly regress having waited tables, um, you know, in my teens for, for my job, you know, jobs from the age of 13, waiting tables. It just, it just felt right. so counterintuitive and it just didn't feel right. And especially, especially at the American min- minimum wage, I was like, how am I going to do How am I going to survive? Like, how am I going to pay my bills? So I kind of ruined those opportunities by not going and I continue to sort of like navigate how I can make a life in America happen, but not as an actor, you know? Right. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I mean, you say things like fucked up or ruined, and by the way, totally fine to say what you want. We're an adult platform. I'm not uh, catering to YouTube children or something like that. So we're, we're cool. 
Um, it, but regardless, like it, it takes kind of sticking your neck out and just trying something, learning what you actually want, failing with that is fine. It's more about the iteration, in my opinion, just like picking yourself up and continuing to refine that, that vision. And it sounds like that's what you've in fact done. Yeah, you, I mean, you've articulated it beautifully. You are right. You know, life is a journey, and you've got to go. You've got to go through it all to work out and exactly that refine. You know how how it's all going to come together. I think it just seemed a bit stupid because it's just so hard for actors to get rep, and without rep, you're just not going to ever really. You know, it's such a tough industry as it is. It just feels like, in hindsight, I, I really sort of you know screwed up a good thing. But having said that, I have never, ever, ever since then had a desire to return to acting, not once. I like, I made the decision to quit then, and I've never looked back. So no regrets, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. No, definitely. Well, and then just, I guess, double-clicking on your realization that you want to stick with storytelling. Um, I guess what I've noticed with your output from Outlier, Punchdown Synthesis, et cetera, is still you have a really strong visual style that's associated with all that you're you're doing here um i guess can, can you talk a little bit about kind of what your visual inspirations are for for the music or you know just a little bit about that that area yeah i mean it's, i've never spoken about that and I, I don't know if i i am fully aware myself other than the fact i've always 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 been attracted to dark darker or dark art um i've always loved the, the the grimy you know gritty sort of like black and white photography was see you know one of my degrees um film you know I, I got a film degree after a business degree and um you know i was really obsessed with all the like old you know abstract um art house films of all the european filmmakers um mm -hmm. And then some of like the David Lynch's and all that kind of stuff. But, um, um, yeah, so I've always been a big fan of sort of the darker stuff. So I think I've, for me, I <clears throat> antithesis itself is all about the whole concept of or themes around like I've got this really strong belief about dichotomy and relativity and how there's polarity uh, in everything and yin and yang and always a, a good good and bad side, light light and dark, night and day, you know, all those kinds of things. And, and you know, it, it's always about fun and balance. So I think the through line of all the stories I've told so far in the videos that I've, like, creative directed and produced is all about finding that balance or telling a, an abstract story about polarity through those visuals. Um, so it might not make sense to a lot of viewers. No. Um when you're watching it, it's kind of sort of like that they are deliberately sort of meant to be a little bit like, you know, uh, not mysterious, but just sort of conceptual, you know, not, not as literally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's plenty of kind of pre-chewed um, standard sort of not, um, you know, art or music that doesn't require the listener to act anything of themselves. Um, so I don't think, personally, I don't think there's anything wrong with kind of relying a bit more, um, staying kind of in the shadows or speaking in um, code or, yeah, just keep it interesting. Like, it, it's fun to kind of parse through what, what could be, I guess. Yes. 
Um, and, you know, one thing you just mentioned, I guess, from the visual aspect is that kind of gritty, raw approach visual. And I would say that comes through, particularly in the remix albums, you know, working with Blunt One, et cetera. Like, that's almost the auditory equivalent of of a gritty black and white photo in, in some ways. Yeah, I um, <clears throat> I just have always been attracted to that. Like, I've, you know, one of the reasons why I, I was obsessed with L.A. for so long uh, and obviously New York was just because I loved the laneways filled with, like, dirt, grit, graph, you know, graph walls, uh, empty railway, like abandoned railway tracks, um, just like that and then finding probably or exploring the pain in others and or just movement. I mean, there's a few different things, but... Um, yeah, it's, it's, I've also been limited, Justin, too. like, <clears throat> admittedly, it's, it's been unbelievably time consuming to, to, to be a full-time manager and to, to run a label and, and produce all the content, um, and, and pretty much do everything from distribution to social digital PR, all the marketing. It's been a lot. So I, you know, I'm, I'm proud of, you know, the content that we've been able to produce and put together, but I think if, you know, I had more time. Um, I had more resources um, and, the, yeah, the luxury of time. I probably would have created slightly differently or, more, or, or you know, whatever way. But, like, I'm, I'm ultimately happy and proud of what we've been able to achieve to date, though. Right. I mean, it's, it, I find it there's an interesting tightrope, I guess, walk of kind of pure artistic freedom and then having deadlines, having external pressures. Like if you have none, no external pressures, then like, you know, when would you ever kind of actually release versus the other flip side is you're, you know, some kind of a content machine where you're producing for an algorithm or something every week or, or something like that. Right. Um, so I guess that that spirit, I, I have to ask you this question, and it's a hard one, um, and most of the people I've interviewed similarly don't want it necessarily a hard one to ask, but really, how do you, for you, know when a, when a project is done, or when is it kind of time to wrap up on a, a track or a, a release, or um, just talk a little bit about that? I, um, uh, I think my that's a really great question um so when i when i there's either two things is like i either will just play and uh fuck around on the piano for fun usually it's late at night if i'm having you know I'm, I'm feeling like an amusing type mood mode or like processing stuff that's when i'll kind of take it to the piano um other times the way i've been creating the piano in this instance for example i've seen a vision so it's like um, the next vision is is seven and based on all the themes of seven. The last one was foursome and it was a cheeky play on all the different meanings of four, like you've got, you know, wind, fire, earth, all that kind of stuff, water, and then yeah. you've got all the different themes of um, what four means, north, south, east, west. I mean, you could go on and on and on about that. Um, I'm going to do something similar with seven and, you know, the, the goal is to always create beautiful art uh, or visual representations of those things. In the collaborations and process with others, um, you know, I've, I've taken a couple of risks. Um, I've been happier with some releases than I have with others, if I'm going to be frank. Um, and, you know, I think 
depending on the circumstances and what the deal is. There's only, you know, there's limits on what you can ask. And sometimes you just have to sort of, you know, accept obviously what you've, what's come out of the collaboration and not, not, not settle because that, that sounds terrible. I'm really proud and extremely, more to the point, like this is a thing, like extremely grateful period that I've had the opportunity to work with all these people, you know, to begin with. And so whatever they've come up with is kind of what it is. You know what I'm saying? Like I haven't been too controlling. I haven't been controlling at all with like, oh, change this, do this, da, da, da. I've definitely provided notes and feedback with every single release. I'm loving this. I love that beat change there. I love it where, you know, whatever what drops there. I love how you, you know, reverse the, the hook here or da, 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 whatever it might be and, you know, refining those types of things. But I've been very, very accepting of just like what the producers have come forth with. Some take a couple of weeks. Others have taken months based on their schedules and things like that to get pre-masters to me. Um, and all that kind of stuff, but it's a fairly clever okay. process. Otherwise, you know, with creative and other bits and pieces. No, totally. And frankly, I'm really happy that I asked you that question because you can speak to kind of both sides of the coin as someone who needs to impose a deadline and someone who has deadlines imposed upon them. Um, so yeah, I, I really appreciate that. Um, I guess. In that spirit, it leads well into something I was curious about is kind of networking in the digital age. Like, I was just wondering if you could talk on how you were able to meet Philip Lewis, your main collaborator, and then maybe talk a little bit about the other producers and MCs that you've worked with for remixes and just how that came about. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> Phil Lewis is um, someone I actually got connected with uh, at least a year, at least a year before I started the label. Um, someone I've always ex um, respected and admired. He is a full-time producer. He is a music head. He's trained. Um, he's a Berkeley-trained musician. He's worked with a lot of big-name artists and, and different projects. And I'm not a producer. I am not a producer. And he's a trained pianist and happens to love the piano as well. So I will write the records and um, do the top lines and flesh out the majority of what I want and then he comes in and relearns the, the record and will replay it so it actually sounds like it's a piano and not a keyboard because <laughs> otherwise I'm, I'm doing a, a very shitty home recording, you know what I mean? And so as my producing partner, he, I mean, he's invaluable. I wouldn't be able to do antithesis without him because, again, I'm not a producer. I wouldn't even know how to turn on a bloody whatever, you know what I'm saying? So I send mm -hmm. and, and record the records into my laptop and then I send him the raw files. Um, so that's how yeah. we made it work. And um, uh, and then in terms of outreach and um, and he's a silent, he's kind of more of a behind the scenes person. He's, you know, he's part of the team, Phil, but he's yeah. busy as a full-time you know, thing. I, I did just want to interject, sorry, but... I like just last week I was um so I've been learning some like electronic wind synthesis like on my own um like I have a MIDI controller that you can blow into and so I wanted to learn chameleon because it has the kind of you know iconic baseline thing from Herbie Hancock and one of the people I find that just on YouTube entirely unrelated to anything that I was prepared for was Phil 
playing chameleon, playing all the parts uh, on 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 YouTube. So yeah, that was uh, I was kind of destined to learn about him even outside of project antithesis, I guess. But who is uh, not only an amazing human being, but he's very talented in, in all all realms. He's a really great guy. So that's so crazy that you just stumbled across that. That's <laughs> I was like, is this the same Philip Lewis? Like, and I'm like looking at the pictures, and I'm like, oh yeah, I think yeah, this guy's awesome. Yeah, yeah, he is. He's wonderful. He actually, he was part of the team that produced um, hers, Hard Place, that she performed for the Grammys in 2019, I think it was. Um, awesome. Yeah, no, he's worked on. He's been a part of uh, lots of incredible projects. Um, yeah, and then I, I want to make sure that I'm answering your other question. You're still like, how mm-hmm. do I, how have I made these partnerships happen? It's been very simple. I've literally just tracked these people down listen to all their music on spotify i've either come across them or there's been i make notes as i'm listening through the playlist who they are if there's a record that i keep hearing that comes up for me and i'm like yeah it's this record again it's this record i will look at the artist or the you know producer um check out their spotify make sure i listen to all of their records just to understand their their whole sort of like universe and trajectory of like sound and all that and then I will try and find, you know, contact them on social or if I can find an email. Um, and, yeah, I've had most you know, success doing that and then we basically build a relationship by, you know, starting with a phone call, I'll share a vision and they'll say yay or nay, I put the contract together with my lawyer and get that one over to them. And... Um, you know, once that's signed, they, we, we get started, basically. I develop the timeline, um, the release schedule, so they're really clear on, on why everything has to be done a certain amount of weeks or months in advance. Um, the orchard obviously distribute four weeks in advance of the release date. Um, and so then you need, obviously, the masters and all the art done by that time to upload into the system. But you also need that period of time to produce all the art, like, you know, the content. So the lead time really is often a good two to three months at least you know right yeah um i I just want to note that you started off with it's simple and then (laughs) your process is actually pretty impressive of understanding their back catalog and kind of building a building a relationship that's that's legit yeah 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 it's um for sure definitely so the collab i'm going to I'll be putting out a project again with Seb Zilna soon. Um, we've obviously I'm in the mo- uh, process of writing seven at the moment. Um, so that's on me to get all those records to overfill. Um, um, I'm going to do another project with Andrew Tuttle, who did that beautiful soundscape. We released um, a three part EP that was playlisted quite a lot on Apple uh, called Sovereign. So we'll be doing Sovereign part two. And then. Um, I think I can pronounce his name correctly, <laughs> but we've just done a deal with Wilczynski. He'll, he'll laugh if I haven't said that correctly, but he's another really dope lo-fi beats producer from Germany um, who's put out some beautiful records. So we've got, I think, four to six records coming out with him um, by the middle of this year as well. So that's, that's it. But I haven't started the year with a bang just because we put out three or four releases late last year, like November, December. Um, that was a lot and just wanted to ease into the year just to, to sort of feel everything out, you know. Totally. 
So, Georgie, one thing I wanted to know about, you know, speaking about networking and connecting with artists, et cetera, um, could you talk a little bit about how you found Cosmic Cuts to begin with or what that, that looked like? Happily. Um, so I was, I think I was, you know, I was in the whole SoundCloud ecosystem super early on and I had used it many, many, many years ago as a discovery tool. I was all over it and I found so many incredible artists and, and you know, um, had this amazing afternoon where I happened to stumble across Cos Cosmic Cuts and I was like, are these people fucking serious? Their curation and their taste is amazing and I've just been such a fan of the Cosmic Cuts, um, you know, curation and brand ever since. And I obviously reached out to you guys at that time to say, and this had to have been almost 10 years ago, right? Like it was at least. It feels least like it. <laughs> Maybe like uh, four or five, but that's basically 10 years after surviving 2020. Longer than that, because I've been in America for almost eight years now, or eight years actually. I've been in America for eight years. And yeah, no, I had, it's been longer than five actually. You're right. Yeah, wow. and then there I, I discovered you guys in like 2013, 2014, like or even earlier. I swear to God, I found you guys when I was still living in Sydney. Anyway, um, it, yeah. <laughs> and I obviously emailed you guys just to let you know. Remember, like how much I loved what you guys were doing. Yeah. Um, you guys were also instrumental to me, sort of discovering the terms. <clears throat> I think of like boom bat originally, you know, like and others, um, and I, I was able to just obviously discover so many other artists through you guys. Like I, again, it all, all comes down to the, your taste and your curation and, and all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> That's right. Your the whole concept of primordial. I hadn't really heard that term before, but the way you guys have sort of combined and literally created a little primordial. Primordial, uh, primordial soup has been amazing. So then, yeah, using and then I obviously started that podcast uh, many many years ago. Mm -hmm. Out of time, so I obviously asked you guys for a couple of soundtracks for that. But you know, I was just drowning. You know, you wouldn't believe. I mean, as you guys know, it's like it's so much work to do a podcast. Um, it's it is. Podcasts are really only now fully going bananas in the industry, but. I had started, um, you know, the People series and then Outlier TV. Um, but, yeah, just too time-consuming. But, of course, there was no other soundtrack that I would have wanted on the podcast other than, you know, one, one from you guys. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I was really, really honoured to make those mixes for you. That was, that was a fun time for sure. Yeah. And I reckon I just had a thought earlier. We should start putting out the Cosmic Cuts. Um, you know, all the shows um, on the Outlier channel and, and you know, uh, Outlier. I would love to do that. All right. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I mean, that's, that would be thrilling. We can definitely talk about those type of options. That I mean, I would definitely love to continue building with you um, as, as we can. So, yes. um, yeah, let's, let's definitely keep it, keep, it get, keep it going, keep it pushing. Yes. Love to. Um, you know, let's see. You know, we've already really talked about some of your projects in the pipeline, which would be 
seven community collaborations. Um, I think that was, you know, really well covered. Um, one thing that I was wondering about as you were describing kind of starting your record label, I just wanted to get your opinion on kind of the role of small record labels and um, also just, I'm kind of curious about how the definition of a record label has evolved because it, it almost seems like that because of many artists are making all of their own stuff, they're their own producer, they're their own everything. There's a bit of a, a different need for for labels now. I just that's kind of a meandering question, but I'm just curious what your thoughts are in that area. Um, the way I'd probably answer that, and I can't, you know, I've never ever prior to starting Outlier Records, never ever ever had any experience working in a label environment. Oh, that's not true. I worked at Rock Nation, Jay Z's company, but I was part of a team that had launched a brand new startup. It was meant to be Jay Z's brand new content studio, and it pivoted into more of a sort of high level brand marketing, you know, shop instead, where we married the external world of brands and, and startups and stuff with, with some of the talent of, of Rock Nation. Um, but, but I wasn't working on the label side there. So, you know, me starting my own label, I had to get my hands real dirty and learn from scratch and sort of create a model that works specifically for me. But I do know, further to your point, I mean, I think creators, human beings, are becoming their own 360-degree brands with all the tools, uh, DIY tools out there um, and, you know, everything that supports an individual to become the best creator they can be. Um, it's allowed, yeah, it's empowered them and it's obviously probably reduced um, the certain, certain needs and requirements from labels to support artists because there's obviously doing a lot of stuff themselves but when you you know there's something to be said obviously for teams like obviously rihanna ariana grande anyone at that level they obviously have so so many people on their fucking team doing so many mm -hmm. all sides of the fence um so it's you know it's important to have that and then i think um you know there's individuals like i've just started building a relationship with uh Cam Kirk, who's a really phenomenal influencer and creator here in Atlanta, and um, he is a very, um, you know, established and revered photographer unto himself, but he's also a uh, an entrepreneur and founder, so he's, he's the owner of uh, not only Cam Kirk Studios here in LA, where these guys provide an outlet, outlet and platform and studio for so many of the emerging artists in Atlanta. Um, where he's either doing the photography himself and he's obviously worked with all the biggest names in the business um, from Gucci to 21 Savage to like, you know, dozens and dozens more. Um, but he's, he's created a, a sort of ecosystem for all these other collaborators and creators to come together. Um, and that's a business for him, so he obviously makes money from that. But what's more prolific is his partnership that he's done that he did late last year with Atlantic Records um, he is the first creator to, to literally establish a record label for photographers, for creators, um, which is really quite entrepreneurial and prolific on his part. Uh, and so the whole model, I think, is always shape-shifting. And if you can find the right loopholes at the right time, you can create those types of deals and partnerships and, and collaborations. Um, and the, the reason why the entertainment industry, especially if you're, um, you know, that whole cross-section of um, entertainment, tech, and media, 
and finding the innovative lens or a lens of innovation within that. Um, there's always opportunities to do things differently and to create new ways of doing things. And I think someone like Cam Kirk uh, is obviously indicative of someone like a creator that's found that incredible niche, um, which is cool. So <clears throat> it's just interesting to see how everybody's shape-shifting. We had a call this week with the uh, head recruiter from Universal Music Group. She literally, is, a, is it, her title is like talent recruiter, but her job is to identify you know, top-tier creators all over the country um, that she can pull into the universal, like the UMG ecosystem to work across all of the different subsidiaries of labels and brands and all that. Um, so recruiting these photographers, creative directors, art directors, videographers to be a part of uh, all the different creative projects for talent. Um, so, so usually they would have in-house people or that outsource like a creative agency or a whatever, whatever, but just the way things are sort of um, being managed and positioned and curated is definitely changing all the time. Totally. Yeah, it, it somehow seems like it's maybe as easy as it ever has been to make a little bit of music with our money with music, but then it's maybe harder to make, you know, a dedicated living based off of it these days. I don't know, that's a... That's interesting. Um, yeah, interesting if area. Monetary, if you're about the monetary play, that's a whole other, that's a whole, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> so I, I was warned, um, I was warned um, that, you know, oh, it's going to take you two years before you start making any real money. Um, I have progressively seen revenue increase, you know, pretty much month after month, which is amazing. <clears throat> that obviously comes in time, right? Like unless you get some crazy hit off the bat, um, you know, it takes time to build catalogs and listeners and followers and um, it takes a lot of time. So, yeah, I've, I've spent a lot of money out of pocket, Justin, to like establish outlier records for sure. I've actually accidentally overpaid artists. I've <laughs> actually overpaid by collaborators um, and I haven't been... Um, you know, as savvy with, like, rec recruitment of costs, just because I see it as my choice to start the label, I've been happy to, like, fork out an extra couple of dollars to um, uh, put into content and creative, which I haven't made any collaborator recruit um, the costs of. But, like, I'm, I'm, I feel super blessed because the, the, the label is definitely making money now. Um, but, yeah, I mean, so I'd say uh, in my case... You know, I've had to fork out cash, but I've been prepared to make that investment. But within six or twelve months, I'm making money, so that's so that's great. I, I very much look forward to those. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, that sounds like another, in my opinion, kind of fine balance between like, yes, you don't want to just be a hundred percent funding your own thing. Um, out of your own pocket, but then at the same time, you don't really want to be beholden to other stakeholders. Um, and I, I don't know, I guess just speaking for myself, it's like generally I'm not thinking too much about any, like how this thing is going to be received. It's just something that I need to be, that I need to make because I, it moves me or gives me some, you know, inspiration or something. So, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a fine fine balance, I would yeah. say. Yeah, I mean, 
people were encouraging me to get finance. You obviously, I had, you know, there was, you, you have finance, obviously, when you start the label, but you have to recoup those costs. Um, I was offered, like, so, you know, when I was, I didn't want to take any more money. I recouped the costs really quickly <clears throat> and to the label, to, to the orchard, and um, did, uh, chose to fund everything myself going forward because, um I want to. I want to be profitable, right? So, I just. I just made sure that I worked really hard to get as much as I could out, and you know, as much as I could. Like, yes, I could have done more, but you know, at the same time, you know, whatever. I think it was probably enough that I could handle on my own, essentially. <clears throat> um, but yeah, I yeah. mean, it's a, it's a risk. I, I I prefer to build things myself and 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 recruit. Recruit the grow, you know what I'm saying? I don't want to have to owe anyone money. I hate owing. I right. Yeah. No. Right. You know, uh, one thing I, I was also curious about mentioning Orchard and, and Sony and that type of thing. Does, is there, um, how do those types of organizations play with, like, with Bandcamp, for example, with, like, direct, you know, person to producer? kind of selling motions. Is that something that they, I mean, I'm literally speaking from the outside as someone, you know, ignorant of how this works. Like, is that something that's somewhat taboo from like your backers having things on Bandcamp as well? Or is that, is it just all green, you know, fine to have your music every, everywhere that you would want to put it out? Uh, I'm not sure if I fully understand your question. Um, oh, that's fine. Do mind rephrasing? So, yeah, I guess I one of the things I've been really curious about is like Bandcamp specifically because in that site, you know, you can just PayPal, whatever, send money directly to yes. Uh, yes. to the artist. Yes. Um, is that something that frowned upon from like? working with like the orchard, et cetera, do they kind of want you to have your music only on streaming platforms or anything like that? Or, um, that's actually a great question. <laughs> Probably something I should look into. I don't believe there's, you know, I think everybody's contract is different. I don't believe there's anything infringing on me as antithesis. Um, yeah. I mean, I, um, but yeah. Otherwise, the focus is really on. I mean, the beauty of the orchard and our great team. Uh, I've only had great experiences with them. I'm really grateful for them. Um, is the fact they have an internal sync and licensing team, for example. I personally, um, and and obviously they pitch to editorial across all the you know DSPs, which is amazing. Um, they have an internal ad service so you can do all your ads digital ads all that kind of stuff through their whole team and system um i choose to do it myself personally because it's just easier from a coordination standpoint for me just to do it organically um myself but they they add a lot of value there um and they have a bunch of other services that they provide but um they can make money obviously you know obvious places of streaming whatever but they have an excellent Sync and licensing team too, um, but in yeah. terms of Bandcamp, it hasn't been. And they they whitelist SoundCloud and all your socials and stuff like that too. So 
I think it's fairly well monitored, but obviously we've got the explosion of all the other platforms. Um, I think my records are registered with, and I can't even think of the platform right now, that's terrible. Um, one of the other um, uh, companies that make sure all your rights are, are covered and being tracked globally, uh, there's a whole bunch of them, like Disco Baby and others. That is true. Yeah, so, um, God, that's terrible. Sorry, I can't even think of the company name. Um, but, yeah, I think it all feeds into one another. I think there's always going to be the argument about, like, um, you know, where, where, how good is collection, right? I don't know. You just have to, yeah. I think it is what it is, too, partly, too. Yeah. No, thanks for that. And I can't say I had, like, a real point I was getting to. I just know that because you've had some interactions with major distributors and such, that's just something that I've been really personally curious about as a DJ or someone more focused on the grassroots, no money side of things more often than not. So I think that's, that's super helpful to, for you to speak on. I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, it's just um, like have them distributing, like, you know, and I think the playlist pitching is really, really important and getting the content, like, obviously the content out to Apple Music, um, like all the short films and the, the video clips and stuff. And, yeah, it's a one-stop shop from that perspective. You know, it's funny, our first interview that we did was with uh, the record label Expresso out of Nairobi, Kenya. And it was kind of a similar experience to you where they found this on SoundCloud kind of years ago and they've just been um, mutual kind of fans and, and friends of each other. And that, that same thing kind of kind of came up there as, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I could lean into the orchard probably a lot more for different services and different support and collaborations, but I just don't and haven't. I think I'm still in the mindset of I've got to get to the half a million monthly listener mark to, to be of real value to, to them or be a worthy cause for them to make the effort to, to, to sink opportunities. I don't know. I'm, I'm happy doing everything as is for now. I think probably halfway through this year, at some point this year, I'm going to have to um, up, up my game in, in industry and up my, um, you know, as opposed to just doing these collaborations and putting different things out, um, investing in other releases, which I, I did in the first year, um, and, and lean into them more for other bits and pieces, perhaps. I'm not sure. We'll see. We'll see. It's an ongoing journey. Right. And, you know, I apologize. I got kind of lost my train of thought bringing up um, our Indian <laughs> friends and, and Expresso, which was that they were suggesting that we get on to um, curated playlists from Spotify, Apple, or curate them ourselves. And yeah. I'm like... I have not the slightest clue of where to start with that. So I'm glad to know that that's been kind of your forte. So I'll be bothering you about some of those intricacies in the future. Anytime, anytime. <laughs> well, I am just so appreciative of your time and your patience. I'm no Walter Cronkite interviewer. So um, I guess my final question is, What's the best way for someone to check out your work and to support? Um, <clears throat> so, obviously, you know, whether you're an Apple person or a, a, an Apple Music, sorry, Spotify person or Apple Music person, 
um, you know, the profile is antithesis. So all mm -hmm. uppercase with spaces, so A space, capital N, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then, you know, uh, I've got the two, um, I've got my personal Instagram, which leads out to all, all the other um, accounts. So jo at, at Georgie, with the double I, obviously Speakman, but the specific music stuff, <clears throat> Antithesis, uh, that, you know, that Instagram is Project Antithesis, one word, mm -hmm. and Outlier Records has its own, literally just Outlier Records has its own um, IG. So perfect. Just about find everything. So, in all those places. There we go. Um, and so wherever you're listening to this interview, you'll be able to check the kind of information section and we'll be sure to provide all of those links for you there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So seriously, so much appreciated. I look forward to building in the future with you and I'm so happy that we were able to finally link up. I know. Likewise. Thank you. I appreciate this so much. Uh, really grateful for the, your time and visibility and, um, yeah, and love being sort of a part of the Cosmic Cuts ecosystem in any way. Uh, I'll loop back with you, obviously, with the with the um, idea for distribution across the Outlier IG, the Outlier TV um, IG and all that. And, um, yeah, we'll obviously stay in touch. Thank you. Yeah, please do. I'm supposed to be protection, clarity and security The only way I cope is abusing all these impurities My best friend sacrificing the dream so I can live mine The sad part is, I think she way nicer with rhymes The timing is what turns a black coal to a diamond What makes a star shining so bright, it's just blinding I'm gonna keep on climbing up the charts and stay focused Like 10 hours in and still ain't reached magnum opus I know I'm the dopest, the genius spirit is focused My destiny is Bringing you joy and yes I did notice The blessings that are bestowed The beauty that she beholds The inspiration for all of my verses She is involved So fuck getting arranged In Maserati she rolls My timing is always right We rapping across the globes It takes a village to raise an MC I had a city Underdogs, bad news, VA Riding with me Cosmic 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 Cosmic, Cosmic. 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 Cosmic.